fourth dimension and welcome to the greatest show in the galaxy i'm emma foster currently getting over a nasty bout of spectrox toxemia joining me is the lovely mr mike mold as always hello and nothing in the world is going to stop him now it's the man the myth the legend from a bazillion different podcasts it's mr rick tetro how you doing mate Hang on, let me just finish milking this bat. I'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> and as you, you may, as you may have guessed, we are taking on the Caves of Androzani. Now, the Caves of Androzani has been consistently voted the number one Doctor Who story of all time. Hmm. So, Rick, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but do you want to have a little... <laughs> 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 so, basically, we've got, as always, we've got the lovely Mr. Rick here to have a have a look at one of our beloved Doctor Who stories and uh, uh, ruin it for us. So, Rick, your initial <laughs> thoughts on the Caves of Androzani? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. I I, uh, I went into this cold. I, the only thing I knew about this episode was that I've heard you mention the title from time to time. So uh, Mike contacted me, said, "Hey, want to do Caves of and- Androzani?" Uh, I was, you know, I'm always up to talk to you guys, so I was happy to to watch it. Um, the first thing I noticed was how incredibly American Perry is. Oh my God, she is so, so. Oh my God, her accent is awful. <laughs> <laughs> it took her what all of thirty seconds to say gloss and. <laughs> Yeah, she's 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 not American. No, she's not, a pretend one. So her accent. She, but she's, remember yeah. at the time, this was incredibly exotic. So I guess, yeah, I guess she she was as good as any of the the fake Brits on our TV at the time. So uh, I, well, know, we're just I, coming I, over I, here with nylons and marrying our young ladies. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's certainly uh, a lovely young lady. Um, is uh, okay. I have two questions before we go too far into this. Okay, um, let's go. One is Perry always that useless? Um, <laughs> so well. over bit. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay, uh, and two hmm. before they shot this, before they began filming this episode, was it always planned to be Peter Davison's last show? Yes. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Because the reason I ask is the whole side quest for the bat milk really felt tacked on. Um, it, it didn't feel... It, it felt like, oh, we've got this story. Now he's leaving. Shit. Let's... How do we... Okay, let's put this in there. Well, it was uh, more... This thing's got to last four episodes to fulfill the season. <laughs> so we need to long it out a bit, really. So that's that's what i mean it, it, the 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 bat milk business um i think was also slightly written to justify him having a bit of celery pinned to him for an entire for his entire <laughs> tenure um so there is a bit of that as well but yeah it was more that they had a set number of episodes that they had to do for a series and this block was four episodes and they had the story and it was a bit like we ain't got four episodes worth of stuff here so okay. bat milk <laughs> yeah. Um okay, I, it wasn't bad. Uh there Yay! was <laughs> There was a point where now I I had no idea this was Davison's regeneration show. So hmm. I'm just going into this this and and I think I may have told you guys in the past that uh at the time in the states when Tom Baker left and Davison took over um I watched like the first episode of the first 
of, you know, the first installment of his first episode and was like, nah, he's not my doctor. And I, and I stopped watching. So this was really my first ex- uh, exposure to him. Uh, and about maybe two thirds of the way through, I was like, this is, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not anything out of the ordinary. Why, why does it have so much cachet behind it? And then I realized they were going for a regeneration. And then when I started doing my research afterwards and, and found how much veneration the episode has, I'm still a bit puzzled. I mean, it's, it's, it's not bad and there's a lot of good stuff to say about it, but there are certainly better ones, uh, even in my limited viewing. Um, I mean, I like the world building. I've always loved how Doctor Who would just plunk you down in the middle of a story. And you'll have, like, people fighting each other, and then all of a sudden the Doctor just sort of shows up in the middle of it. Uh, I love how they always have slang. You know, even if it's just a couple of words here or there that just sort of makes, gives a verisimilitude to the situation. Even when the, you know, the the production values, as we know, are notoriously uneven for Doctor Who. Um, Kaiju! Um, But... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, the acting was fine. I've I've always appreciated how, no matter how ridiculous these shows are doing, and you know that a lot of these British actors who are who are notorious for their are you you know fucking kidding me? You want me to say what? But when they're on camera, they're absolutely devoted to what they're doing. Um, you know, it, it ran along very well. Uh, it just I, it didn't seem to stand out to me as anything particularly awesome. Unless it was it at the end of a particularly bad series. Um, no, I think that if the the prevailing thought, or the the old school sort of uh, uh, thought on on Case of Androzani, is that they finally nailed Peter Davison right as he killed him off. Um, <laughs> so that was there was a portion that I think revisionist history would have would have that. That is not the case at all. That the series was kind of ticking along, okay, but I mean, um, it, it was sort of a culmination—not a culmination, but sort of a, a, a spasm, if you will, of one of the the hard bits of Doctor Who. If you see, sort of in in the back, sort of in behind the scenes and stuff, things things were not going especially well. Um, you know, there was lots of uh, kind of bitching and infighting about who who writes what, and who's the director, and who's the showrunner, and all this sort of stuff. So it was it's kind of viewed as, despite all this stuff going on, they managed to produce something incredible. And um, yeah, like I said, I mean, it, it's no joke that consistently this story is voted the best Doctor Who story ever. And, and, and that's the part I don't understand because I can think yeah. of several off the top of my head, uh, even just from the Tom Baker days that run rings around this episode. Um, you know, Mask of Mandragora or Genesis of the Daleks or um, See, Genesis of the Daleks is the one that it's bumped off. I mean, uh, Genesis of the Daleks used to be number one forever and ever, and then this the uh, Caves was kind of always number two or three, and then this bumped it off um, in recent years. Um, I think. I think a lot of why is there's a lot of emotion behind it because it's the fifth doctor's regeneration. And also you get this kind of catharsis with Edric as well. Hmm. Who I have no, no, uh, anything with. So, uh, cause I guess he was one of the, the force ghosts at the end. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, um, 
there is another problem I have with this episode as to why I I, I marvel at its at its uh, position in fandom because this has got to be the rapiest Doctor Who I've ever seen. Not not the Doctor, but just the rapiest episode of Doctor Who I've ever seen. Well, you mean so what happens to um... the way the Gimp treats uh, uh, Perry? Right. Sorry, uh, Jazz. <laughs> Fuckledicks, Sh- whatever he Sharis is. Jack. <laughs> that guy. Sharish Jack, <laughs> who yeah, he's a bit gimpy. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a little bit, but um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, unfortunately, Perry kind of got and has maybe never got rid of the reputation that, you know, she's for the dads, if you will, mm-hmm. that she was, you know, she's there as kind of mobile cleavage and to uh, fall in such a way that you have a right look down her boobs when she, fall, you know, trips up and things like that. And unfortunately, that does mean that, um, yeah, you're quite right, that she is kind of fodder for um, being touched up by the uh, creep in uh, charge, usually, or the... Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, um, I can't disagree with you there um mike you're being suspiciously quiet about this <laughs> yeah i mean yes i mean it is it is probably creepy um the way it is Sharon... creepy, but i think it's kind it's kind of meant to be though because sharon's yeah. jack is a creep mm-hmm. he's, he's he's very much unhinged and it's clearly shown as like being not okay because if you notice yeah. like whenever um, Peter Davison, Nicola Bryant, and Christopher Gable are sharing the scene. Any time that Charles Jack makes a move towards Perry, the Doctor gets up, puts himself in front of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very it's very wrong the way Jack comes across. I don't think the show is condoning it in any way. No, I think not. that no, no, know, no, no, the, no. the show is saying, yeah, this is gross. So, and and I... the Doctor is jumping in to kind of stop, try and prevent it as much mm-hmm. as he can. You know, I, yeah, I'm I'm not saying that it's it's in any way saying yay go Jack or anything like that. Um, Jack, right? Jack, mm-hmm. but I, I can't. The names are just. <laughs> um, but like, if this if this were someone like Davros who was just kind of you know drooling over her from his chair, uh, you know, and and we, you know we knew we couldn't really do anything unless somebody picks her up and you know that probably. That wouldn't have bothered me so much, but he was just always right behind her and mm-hmm. fawning on her and touching her, and and she was just—I mean, she did a great job of playing, you know, just on the edge of nausea. Um, it just—I mean, it made me really uncomfortable, which I, you know, was the 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 goal of the scene. Mm. Um, I just maybe I'm looking at it with you know the 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 21st century. We don't do that sort of thing anymore. Eyes, um, yeah. It just, it just, it really seemed over the top even for then. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't disagree with you on any, on any of that, really. Um, so what did you make of, I would say, sort of just the general, you know, you talked a little bit about the acting. Well, the, uh, the thing that I've always kind of found odd about Craves of Andrazani is you're quite right that it does feel like kind of two stories happening at the same time. So, um, Individually, I really like all the stuff with Morgus, and I just wondered what you made of that, Rick. The all the mon- the, the bits to camera and things like that. I I liked it. Um, mm-hmm. When he talked directly to the camera, it really bothered me. And then looking in my research, found out that he didn't realize he wasn't supposed to, and they decided, well, all right, we'll just keep it. <laughs> it, just <didn't, laughs> it just didn't work for me. Um, 
I even wrote down in my notes, why is he talking to us? <laughs> um, but, uh, I, you know, it was kind of shades of, of um, uh, what is it, the Sunmakers? Uh, mm. mm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would say if there's any sort of, like, I don't want to say criticism necessarily of Caves that I have. It's it's kind of like Robert Holmes' like greatest hits. You've got the sort of uh, mm. corporate um, school degree of Sunmakers, and you've also got the gun-running aspect, which you've seen things like um, uh, Power of Crawl and all that sort of things. But that's kind of sort of thing that he does best. You know, there's always like the double acts, if you will. You, yeah. You've got Morgus and Timmin and Jack and Salatine and Chalak and Salatine and the Doctor and Perry, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, that, not necessarily a criticism. Mm. And, and back then, uh, you know corporations becoming world domination was a was a big theme in science fiction you could find it in tons of books and stuff then as well mm-hmm. um so i didn't i didn't have a problem with that dude had the slowest elevator door in history um <laughs> that was probably through the fact the scene shifters union was on strike again so they did, they, <laughs> i mean um, like, again this was this at the time this was uh, that the bbc was incredibly obviously incredibly unionized but um individual unions had different responsibilities and mm-hmm. i'm sure i'm teaching me grandmother suck eggs here but i mean <laughs> on on the set at the bbc there was a particular particularly militant wing was the the scene shifters and the scene shifters union and what they were supposed to do and not supposed to do and touch and not supposed to touch was endlessly debated and they at this point in time they were on strike like more than the bloody French, so uh. <laughs> um, it was. It sort of made things very. It did make things tricky. It was sort of added to the to the hoo ha behind the scenes. Normally, something like that wouldn't bother me, except it was so slow that it it totally pulled focus from what was going on in the room. It's just like, will that door ever finish closing? <laughs> so yeah, this is why it's, I love talking about old uh, who that is old to us, but you've never seen because me and Mike just go, yeah, okay, we just because we've seen it so many times mm-hmm. and. We just accept it, you know. You you kind like when we talked about Tomb of the Cybermen. It's these things that we've ceased to notice that mm-hmm. you you bring up, and I go, oh, yeah, that is true actually, and that's that's one of them. <laughs> uh, I love the Doctor Evil gas mask helmets. <laughs> um, it's unavoidable to draw the inevitable uh, Dune comparison with the the the. Stress X or whatever. I'm doing terrible with remembering the scenes. But yeah, that stuff. Spetrox, that's what it was. Um, But again, you know, Dune is one of those things that permeates science fiction so much that you really can't fault any any property for cribbing from it. So, oh yeah, I mean, you know, this this is nothing new to Doctor Who. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I think. Was it Benaranovich who, um, I can't remember the, the full quote, but um, it's usually like, good writers borrow, great writers steal out, out, outright, and Doctor Who writers get it off the back of the truck, no questions asked. <laughs> <laughs> Something Absolutely. Else, anyway. I think so. it doesn't help me that basically all I know about Dune is, um, or June, I, I, I find it hard to say the word, June is the, you know, not fear, fear is the mind killer and the spice must flow, and that's literally all I know about, about it. Uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> It is one of my all-time favorite books. Uh, mm-hmm. They've yet to do it justice on the screen, but uh, I, I recommend to everyone to read it. It's a, I, I read it, I reread it every couple of years or so, just because it's it's so wonderful. Um, 
So, you know, anything that involves a, you know, a life-giving substance that has a limited or singular source uh, is going is gonna to get a Dune comparison. That's just, it's just, there's no way around that. Mm. Um, I loved Jack's dialogue. Mm. Um, you know, I, I wrote down one particular, you prattling Jack and apes. Yeah. <laughs> How often do you hear a phrase like that? <laughs> that is Robert Holmes for you, sir. He does like to sneak yeah. in like archaic words into his uh, dialogue. I think it was, what, um, what was it Jack referred to more? It's like this fessinine bag of slime. And it's just like, <laughs> I was like, you said I want to reach for a dictionary. It's like, is that a thing? Was... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I would say it's a disease that Pip and Jane Baker pick up sort of virulently later on. Um, I mean, I think that if you were being uncharitable to this story, it does it does come across sort of like Pound Shop Shakespeare, doesn't it? Hmm. Um, especially like all like you know all the the monologuing to camera and things like that. It just sort of thinks you know some. It, it, we were talking. We sort of as always we end up doing ended up sort of thinking of Monty Python just before we started. <laughs> and do you remember Sir not appearing in this film? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what makes me think of, you know, people in this, this show that you've got, he's in, he's in one show and he's in another show. And I think sometimes it's difficult to kind of mash the two together. Um, so I think that's where caves is flawed in places for me, that it just sort of feels like it, and to use another analogy that, you know, when you get a, a, a brilliant album and it's got banging singles on it, but it doesn't hang together as an album. It's just a collection of things. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. it's kind of a bit like that sometimes. And again, for all these old Doctor Who nerds like me and Mike, just sort of quoting along with nothing in the world's going to stop us now. And yay, no joy <laughs> and all this sort of thing. You kind of lose sight of that. Some of it doesn't always hang together as maybe as well as it could. Mm. Now, one thing I noticed that I I really enjoyed, and I've I've you guys may know the answer to this. There may not even be an answer to this, but is there a spoken or unspoken set of mannerisms that people playing the Doctor try to incorporate? <laughs> um, I think that unfortunately, by this time, there was this idea, this thing of sort of quote quote, quote unquote Doctor Who acting. Okay. The, because I mean, do, go away. Chuck's being naughty. Go away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, because he, he's got uh, he's got one of the helmets from this, uh, like a, a re replica of one of the helmets from the from this show, and he's uh, walked in and he's um, with it on. So <laughs> thank you, dear. <laughs> oh, and he's bought the cat as well. Bye. Um, so uh, where was I? So yeah, there was this idea that I mean, because Doctor Who had been on the air for like twenty plus years at this point. So when actors turned up on it and they obviously had seen or heard about Doctor Who in their careers at some point, there's this idea that you go on Doctor Who and act in this way. Because mm -hmm. I've noticed uh, both with Davison and with Capaldi, uh, Tennant to a smaller extent, it didn't really stand out except when he said, well, um, there were certain vocal and 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 mouth mannerisms that harken back to Tom Baker. Now I don't know if that's just that they're all from a you know relatively similar background, and so their accents or or methods of speaking are are similar. But uh, it it really I really felt a continuity to to Tom Baker with Davison with the his 
his speech patterns and facial expressions and stuff. Well, you got to remember that Peter Davison was uh, Tom Baker's successor, like direct successor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether that was like a subconscious thing on Davison's part. Um, in terms of Capaldi, well, yes, he would have been grown up watching him. So, you know, we've mentioned it plenty of times on the podcast whenever Capaldi seems to like deepen his voice even further and it very much takes on a very Tom Baker sort of uh, thing. You could always like say he's like dialing up his past incarnations from time to time. Yeah. 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 I mean, mm-hmm. Tennant as well. I mean, he was kind of even before like, he married his kid and became his son-in-law. He was a um, <laughs> yeah, avowed uh, Peter Davison fanboy. And yeah. so there was an effort on his part. I mean, actually, because of that. Oh, God, this is going to be so nerdy. Mike, you're gonna, you two are going to hate me. But um, it, it gave birth to this thing called the Take 5 Theory. Right. Which is the the take five theory is the idea that the doctor that you're watching is most like the incarnation that came five steps before him. Um, So the 10th doctor is most Mm. like the fifth. Yeah. The 11th is most like the sixth, the 12th, like the seventh, on and on and on and on. I mean, obviously, it it came from the the five to ten comparison. Mm. But if you squint, you can make it work for some (laughs) of the other ones, but not a lot. So... The, the theory being that the doctors that they would have seen when they were at the just the right age to be yeah. in printable. Um, yeah, I could, I could, sure, why not? <laughs> um, yeah, now one, well, I one didn't the, say it was good. <laughs> one thing that I did go, oh, please. <laughs> when, okay, well, first of all, both Perry and the doctor were totally blase about their potential execution, which was, uh, uh, interesting um the, the doctor it's it, he always seems to be like oh you're gonna kill me all right <laughs> go for it uh but i would have thought perry might be a little more than just oh fuck all right <laughs> but uh um whichever one of, well, i don't know if it was i don't think it was salatine maybe it was that would have been the I, anyway comes into the room and he says are you ready fuck no <laughs> i need i need another half hour okay <laughs> Can we just for tomorrow morning? Ready? Seriously. <laughs> oh, it's like that thing with Barton sideshow Bob, and he says, "I want to hear the whole score of the HMS Pinafore first. <laughs> 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 um, I, I, I think that it, it's actually something they kind of played with much later on. You remember when Clara and the Twelfth Doctor, and she sort of got a bit blasé and it ended up sort mm. of killing her. Um, this is kind of the reaction to things like this. Whereas, you know, the Doctor, it's sort of as if Doctor and Companion know that their plot armour is a mile wide. And, you know, because uh, death isn't a permanent condition for the Doctor, but, we, we, you know, so the Companions sort of know that, oh, we, we know, we'll just we'll get out of this. Hmm. Well, I mean, there is an in-story explanation. What you don't realise at that point in the story is they've been replaced by the androids. It's the androids that who get true. executed. And there, yeah. is a, there is a bit just before Salatine comes in and asks them if they're ready that you see, like, this a bit of the wall part behind them it's, you can see like something's hanging on of course it does not reveal until part two where it's it's actually the android that they've shot um i i did forget that part you're right yeah. um i it's still there I, it yeah i can kind of like, felt like mm. there should have been a little more panic involved there again these are the androids that Salatine's addressing so as far as they're concerned they're disposable yeah can we talk about the monster? Oh, if we must. 
Damn it, John Nathan it, Turner! What the hell? Uh, you know, I I I was looking at that thing and I thought maybe like I sure hope that wasn't built for the episode and that it was just hey we found this in the prop room let's use it. <laughs> uh, Mike, uh, do, you, do you want to tell him or shall I? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll do Rochambeau, but you know we're on audio, so we can't really see what we're doing. <laughs> I'll say go on, Mike. You tell him. It was built for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> See that 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 whole section could have just there, there was no need for it. There was no need for a monster in there at all. No, but John Nathan Turner, the producer, as always, has to stipulate there had to be a monster. You know, mm-hmm. it's clear, sometimes it's clearly not enough that you have you know humans being bastards to one another. You've got to have something monstrous or extraterrestrial. I mean, you know, like Planet of Fire. The main villain was the master. So, you know, Renegade Time Lord. So, like, not every of, not all of Peter Davison's stories had, you know, a monster in it, but there was something in it that, you know, mm-hmm. that could be classed as monstrous. And Black Orchid is uh, one example. Even mm. though it's the last of the pure historicals, there's, you know, a, like a deformed, you know, person who... It's, well, not really the villain necess- necessarily, but is certainly antagonistic yeah you know at first i thought we were going for a a sort of a devil in the dark allegory um if you're familiar with that star trek episode with the horda Mm -hmm. um where because we start off (laughs) no kill i (laughs) you know we start off with the you know unnamed soldier getting munched by the monster before the uh you know before we know what's going on Mm. but then the monster became utterly irrelevant to anything other than Hey, we built this thing. Make it eat somebody else before we, you know, so we can justify the pro- the cost or something. Hmm. And it, it just it was so. You know, I hate shit. to say this, and I well, I you, you know I keep, it's fine. I well, <laughs> the thing is, I you know my my knowledge of early Who is is limited, so I only have a, a small number of things to choose from. But I think the Rutan was actually in a lot of ways scarier than that thing. Because even though it was, you know, a glow stick inside a ball of bubble wrap with some streamers hanging off of it, at least they animated it and it was totally unfamiliar. So we had no no frame of reference to say whether it was doing what it's supposed to or not. You know, this thing looked like something out of a got out of no more like out of a Gamera movie uh, and was utterly unarticulated uh, and and just did nothing except move across the camera. And and they didn't even try to hide it. They didn't even like take a hint from spielberg and say let's this thing looks like shit so let's put smoke around it or just show it from the back you know no it was like full-on here's this monster that doesn't do anything but it scares everybody it, it just uh it totally pulled me out doctor who history is replete with unnecessary monsters uh, yeah. because someone thought oh we've got to have something to keep the kids interested um you know once again the the pull between this is for kids this is for families this grown only grown ups are watching it now. Uh, the endless cycle of that debate uh, rears its ugly head once again. Mm. Um, yeah, um, like I say, there's that we could reel off a bunch of, of episodes that have been ruined <laughs> by an unnecessary monster. <laughs> yeah. Now I did like the the bit towards the end when uh, Mor- Morgus is that his name? Yeah, when Morgus is. Yeah. Uh, Major Domo just is like, fuck you, dude. I'm in charge now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> the, the great bit about a, him being usurped by Trout Hemen is 
you kind of get the sense from her that it's more a very much a case of meet the new boss same as the old boss yeah oh yeah there's there's no new new uh She's not a renovator. She's a she's just kind of slipping in there. Mm. I also like the fact that that Doctor Who has always been, in some ways, more egalitarian. Hard to say on a Sunday morning uh, <laughs> than uh, than a lot of shows of its time. Uh, you know, despite the the appalling sexism of how a lot of the companions were treated. Um, you know, the fact that it's it's a, a woman or you know and now. Uh, or yeah, nah, never mind. Just a uh, you know, <laughs> the the person who is most immediate to Morgus is a woman, and there's no big deal made about that. And we see that with the Time Lords as well. That the you know, gender is relatively irrelevant. Uh, well, I think I think part of that is uh, something kind of a topic I wanted to kind of touch. We touched on it a bit earlier, but I think that might be sort of a Maggie Thatcher thought because mm. Margaret Thatcher was the PM at the time this was made. Mm. Um, so I mean, we yeah. talked about it briefly, um, obviously this being a product of the 80s. So I'm going to kind of um, exploit the, the, your, our transatlantic cousin and your, you know, not to be rude, a little bit older than me and Mike. Um, Just a touch. So tell us, tell, us, <laughs> tell us about the 80s, Dad. Uh, not really. <laughs> uh, oh, no, it was I mean, a what, weird decade. We knew it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, because when, I don't mean to be awful, but when this was broadcast, me and Mike were one. Um, okay. So, <laughs> no, no, we weren't um, even one. We wouldn't have even. No, been we, yeah, we weren't even been, one. Yeah, it was March, wasn't it? March eighth. Yeah, so I would have been. Yeah, nine I would have been nine, nine months nine, old. Nine yeah. Months, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, my mum still hadn't slept at all. So, because um, <laughs> <laughs> um, when you look, it's sort of you don't have to scratch the surface very hard because. This is like you said, like we said, this is about the eighties and evil corporations and um, you know business suits and filofaxes and uh, things like that. Um, but I think that there's a bit of the British view of the eighties in this. I mean, because mm. it's a big thing about mining, and yeah. I don't know if uh, if I mean um, Rick, you know at all about uh, this point in 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 UK history. The mines were shutting down. There was massive strikes, a lot ah. of unrest in the country especially in mike's area of the world yeah. uh, not so much where i was growing up but um you know the anxieties about uh, all these people losing jobs and we had a, a pretty uncaring conservative government um who i mean you know a lot of people still curse that woman's name because of uh, uh the the sort of the policies that that government introduced and so i think that caves a lot of the subtext of it is a big reaction to that and also the the fact that the country was just coming out the other side of the falklands war mm. um which had taken lives and was although we well, we won i mean it was a lot of sort of international anxiety and things like that so did it strike you as kind of like sort of a british experience or did it sort of reflect how you felt the 80s was in america as well or no, not particularly. Okay. Uh, in fact, I couldn't have placed. I, I I wasn't sure if this was a '70s or '80s. Uh, you know, I hadn't actually thought about it. If I okay. if I thought about it, I I would have you know remembered that Tom Baker stepped down in the early '80s, and that's when the transition happened. But uh, I didn't get a, a dated feel other than just old Doctor Who. Uh, you know, right. And the the whole mining thing makes a lot of sense now because that was a, a throughput on the whole episode, especially shutting down the northern mine or whatever. Because um, mining over here, 
well, you know, no any one industry over here is, you know, is as can have as much impact nationwide as y'all can just because we're so goddamn big. Um, so, like, I've never lived in an area where mining was important. Um, so that to me was just a plot point that didn't resonate beyond the screen. Um, but I hadn't, well, you know, I mean, the, the Margaret Thatcher thing makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think that just from a cultural standpoint, I mean, what she did and didn't do is is going to something that's going to resonate. And we're sort of we're still dealing with the consequences of it now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, the way our 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 societies and the way that our current conservative government is uh, mm. <laughs> fucking things up currently. Um, yeah. But I mean, you, I know nothing I, I, about I, that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I mean, but it's something that your parts of your country are going through now. I mean, the whole Trump digs coal bollocks, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. Well, it was that, but that was more a matter of how could you people have been so naive <laughs> to believe that that was actually going to work. Um, mm. You know, it, it's just. Uh, <laughs> well, I think, I think the problem is as well. It's a whole other show, but I think, like you say, I mean, because some, because your country is enormous compared to compared to the to to ours. I mean, mm. sometimes it's it's almost like these things are happening so far away. It might as well as be in another country, right? Yeah. So, it whereas when things happen here, it happens to all of us at once, essentially, mm-hmm. um, because we're only weenie. Well, and that's and that's also something that I'm used to seeing in British television. You know, Monty Python used to do mining sketches all the time, and and you know, how often does Doctor Who not take place in a cave at some point, um, or yeah. Star Trek for that matter? Um, it was good to see the quarry. Um, oh yes, the dear old quarry. <laughs> um, I mean, I you know. This was certainly not a bad episode by any stretch. Uh, it's, uh, you know, perfectly fine. I just, I was, I was stunned after watching it to look it up and find the the uh, the level to which it is it is regarded. Um, I think not that I. Of... No, carry on. Well, I just, you know, I, and and please don't take that as an insult to the to okay. the episode. It just it just rather puzzles me. That I, you know, in two thousand nine, when when did the new Who start? Two thousand five. Two thousand five. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, pre new Who, I could see it, sorta. Um, and I know that it's you know it's it's really not fair to compare old Who and new Who, but I think you know even with new, uh, you know, the new shows, it's still considered the best, and that that I, I find odd. Well, I think unfortunately there's there is a lot of emotional stuff happening with that vote. I mean, the people who vote for these things have immense emotional attachments to this. I mean, the people. I mean, they're sort of our age and older. Who Peter Davison is their doctor, sort of full stop. And that this that this is like you have all like say all the emotional stuff with Adric and all the other companions coming back, and this is last one and. The, the whole narrative that this is the far, one they finally nailed it and you got all this thing about you know say robert holmes this is the first time that uh, graham harper directed mm-hmm. who goes on to be an immense name in in doctor who direction um he did some of the new series as well i think there's just kind of so much emotional baggage mm-hmm. it um it's 
I mean, I'm trying to think of a comparison, and I suppose that if you sat someone down cold and having never seen a minute of Star Trek in their lives and had them watch City on the Edge of Forever or something like that, um, they might come away feeling similar about it, I think. I think it's it's emotion it's extremely emotional and what happens in that episode but you might be struck by why is Shatner talking like that and, yeah. <laughs> and that sort of thing I think that there's 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 definitely uh, I think that there's a lot of emotional baggage that goes into why this is so consistently voted at the top end um I wonder uh Rick uh, with I don't think we've done a Peter Davison episode with you before, so I just wondered where where do you kind of rate him in your pantheon of doctors? What do you think of him? Uh, I I I I will say that I have vastly underrated him, um, because like I said, he he was my first. That's not my doctor for me. You know, <laughs> he, he, he that was the first doctoral regeneration for me, and and it's really weird because I think back about it, and I didn't watch the entire last season of Tom Baker. Um, I don't remember why it was, I think it was just a matter of, I finally was having a social life and, you know, back in, back in those days, you watch TV when they aired shit, you didn't, we didn't have VCRs, we didn't have on demand. So if I wasn't home at six o'clock on, you know, in the afternoon, I didn't see Dr. Who. And so I think somewhere around towards the end of, like, I never saw Romana. All right, so so looking at that's kind of the middle, that's yeah, kind of yeah. yeah, late middle. I think mm-hmm. it was after Leela left when I kind of stopped watching, and it, yes. you know, and again, it wasn't like fuck this, I'm not watching. It was I'm now Just I'm seventeen and, and and out enjoying life instead of sitting at home in my bedroom watching TV. Hmm. Um, so I didn't see the end of Tom Baker's years. I never saw the the whole Key of Time thing. Um. And then we heard that Tom Baker was leaving and that there was this new guy coming in and I'd seen pictures and I was like, what's with all the cricket stuff? (laughs) Uh, And then they, 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 I, I don't even know if I watched the regeneration. I honestly can't remember. Um, And then, uh, you know, there, there may have been some substances involved around that time as well to cloud the memory. Um, (laughs) But uh, I just remember watching him and going, I just, I, no, I can't cope with this dude. He's, he's way too damn British for me. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that was it. I didn't watch any other Doctor Who until Christopher Eccleston. Hmm. Uh, and it was never on purpose. It just, it just, it just didn't. Just, yeah, you just never got around to it. Yeah, so I, I was very pleased with Davison's performance. Um, I found the character a little too passive in this episode, but that wasn't him. That was, that was the writing. Um, but that happens, you know, that frequently drives me crazy where the doctor just sort of stands around and goes, ah, you know, it'll be all right. I'm not going to do anything, but it'll be all right. And then like at the last minute, he reaches over and flips a switch and it's all right. Um, this one seemed especially, I'm just going to stand around and, and, and let the Brownian motion of the episode just sort of move me where I need to be. Um, and then the, when he finally does something, it's to go milk the queen bat, which, you know, was 30 seconds out of, at the end of what, two hours. Um, it just, it just really felt rushed at the end. Uh, and then, and then, you know, the regeneration, although I, I had to laugh because 
uh, Perry's laying on the ground, quote unquote, dying, but doing so in a very sultry and sexy way. And <laughs> she's she's got her mouth wide open, and he goes, "Open your mouth." <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> um, kind of already is. <laughs> But, uh, and I, I don't disagree with Davison because uh, one of one of the things he's quoted as is that his regeneration was upstaged by her cleavage, and I, you know I would love to have disagreed with that, but it was, you know, there she is on all fours hovering over him when her and her shirt comes unbuttoned, and I'm like, is there anyone else in the room? I don't see anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even even as a as a hetero woman, that is difficult to look away. Um, <laughs> so I, I understand. I, I don't know if it would have stood out so much if it if she hadn't been flopping around the whole episode because she wasn't. Um, you know, her shirt stayed buttoned, and she had you know she was. I, I was kind of when I first saw her because you know the the you know we're not talking high def around anymore. Mm. You know, it was hard to tell if she had something under that overshirt. I was like, are they going for cheesecake here? And then I finally got enough light, and I was like, oh no, she's got a she's got a top on under that, so that's all right. Um, but then all of a sudden, boobs in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> now I know, having gone back now and done some some research, that that was kind of a a, a thing for for Nicola Bryant is that they had her in sexy outfits through the whole her whole tenure there, um, and then she finally got them to stop doing that. But then all of a sudden, boing, there they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. that's funny. Um, I think that uh, one of the just to to drag us away from boobs just just for right now um, just boobs just boobs um, I think <laughs> one of the things I think that uh, maybe makes this um, shine so spectacularly it is surrounded by turds um, mm. planet of fire I'm gonna say not good I'm just gonna throw that out there I don't think it's all that uh, you know I I barely remember planet of fire. I know the masses in yeah, it, that but too. that's kind of like and it was in Lan- it was filled in Lanzarote. It was, um, and uh, it was Turlo's last story. But as to what, I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. And I'm waiting for Chuck side... to kick the. I'm waiting for Chuck <laughs> to kick the door open. No, I think I'm safe. Um, so, and on the other side, Do you have the oh, twin dilemma. Good gr- dilemma Ooh. holy shit off a shelf right i mean this this is true i when i first got into doctor who um when i was uh, a teenager uh you used to be able to watch it on a channel called uk gold yep. and so they would sort of just show serials so they just show it all morning sunday hmm. so i got up and i'm not, not gonna lie i was quite hungover just <laughs> how how untypical of me uh got up made a fried egg sandwich as was my want to fix my hangover Sat down, put on Twin Dilemma, and I lasted the time it took me to eat my sandwich because I could not deal with the the colours and the noise and the fucking the twins. And I was like, mm. I can't, I can't do it. And I went back to bed. And it took me a while to actually sit and watch the Twin <laughs> Dilemma. It is garbage. Yeah, <laughs> and I think one of the worst offences about Twin Dilemma is not just the whole strangulation thing; it's the fact that this the Twin Dilemma. Was the series closer? This, yeah, this imagine was that, Rick, se- so. This was this was season twenty-one. Caves of Androzani, you'd think, would have been the series finale. It wasn't. 
yes, twin dilemma was. And Rick, you've got to imagine that basically so you're introduced to a new doctor and the idea that he would start off as an asshole and then sort of soften up, basically. This was the... Yeah, sound familiar at all? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, really a complete prick. And then oh. it was going to take like seven years. I mean, the idea that Colin Baker wanted to stay on and, and outlast Tom Baker. So the idea that he was going to be just unbearable and then get better and better. But I mean, they were in it for the long haul, right? So in Twin Dilemma, the, one of the first things he does to Perry is strangle her. And I mean, legitimately put his hands around her throat and strangle mm. her. And I've talked to Chuck about this because he was sort of this is at the height of his nerddom. I mean, and he was he was watching these live and all this sort of thing. Um, so your last look at Doctor Who for for a series is that your Doctor behaving like that, and then you have this shit episode. They go right, everyone, see you in a few months. Suck mm-hmm. on that. Mm. And um, yes, and as you can as you can probably imagine, I mean, and this was at the time that fandom as like with the capital f was stand was starting up and there were fanzines and yep. all this sort of thing so the fallout was appalling so um basically i think the fact coming and sort of dragging us back to my point i mean i think that the fact that caves avengers army is, is surrounded by these things kind of makes it shine all the more mm-hmm. so i think yeah. that there's there's a certain amount of of context along with i mean because Genesis of the Daleks, the 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 story that this the, knocked off the kind of the pedestal of being number one overall story, is part of a magnificent series hmm. of like yes. a whole season of just banger after banger basically, and although it's excellent, it's surrounded by excellence, whereas Kay's Vangelisani is surrounded by shit. <laughs> that that was something I suspected. That you know, it was it was the the diamond in the in the sewer. <laughs> yeah, so, really. I mean, um, I think most of that series was pretty rough as well because he had Warriors of the Deep. Oh is, man, yeah. Warriors on the Cheap. We've talked yeah. about that before, haven't we? Yeah. And then, <laughs> you... oh, I hope I hope all this poison gas won't come in handy mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, <laughs> then was it what was it followed by? Was it Frontiers of the Awakening? Hang on, hang on a minute. I've got me a uh, thing here. So right, hang on. Go back, go back. Uh, uh, right, so Warriors of the Deep, then The Awakening, mm. yeah. which is okay, it's but, okay. you know, it's all right. Mm. Um, then Frontios, which is... Oh, I don't mm. like it. No. I like it very much. Then no. Resurrection of the Daleks, which I think is probably the next best, you know... I've, mm. I don't think I don't think it's even the best of the re-something of the Daleks no. episodes. Um, because you have remembrance, uh, resurrection, revelation, revelation. Yeah, Yeah. I think revelation is probably his best one, actually. Yeah, probably. Um, then it's uh, planet of fire, and then it's this. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, it's by far, Mm. you know, the best, the best one. Um. Uh, I, I just I think that it, it, I think that maybe a lot of the of the thing is is down to the, the scene with Peter Davison crashing the ship. Mm. I mean, the iconic Peter Davison episode. Yeah, uh, a, a mm. moment I would say out of out of everything, it's it's a bit like just to squeeze football in because I just watched spent really a long time watching the NFL draft just gone. It's like I'm do- as a Lions fan, I'm doomed to see forever Aaron Rodgers land that hail mary against us, which. Uh, which uh, ended up 
ruining our season. Mm. Um, and just as I'm doomed to see that forever, we are doomed. Peter Davison is doomed to see a gob full of fillings uh, yelling, nothing in the world is going to stop us now. <laughs> <laughs> now, one other thing in this, I keep rocking back and forth on this being either unfair or not, but I just realized that we have seen better and scarier prosthetics in Doctor Who prior to this. When we finally get the Gimp's mask off, I was incredibly underwhelmed at how not really all that disfigured he was. Because thinking back to the master in the, the, when Tom Baker was, was fighting him and I don't remember what the name of that episode was, but when he was just literally a skeleton face. Mm. Oh, deadly assassin, assassin yeah. where he was. Deadly like, assassin, yeah, yeah. I mean, cause he was a corpse essentially. The yeah. Master. Uh, speak, yeah. yeah. So, I know that they can do better than that. You know, I knew I was like, okay, we're, I know we're going to get that mask off eventually. Don't get your hopes too high up. This is, you know, the old Doctor Who. They didn't. But then it was just like they put a little bit of silly putty on his cheek. <laughs> and everyone's acting like he looks, you know, like something out of a George Romero movie. And it just really was. Do you remember the first time you saw it by any chance? I'm trying to think of when well, that so, was. Well, so, well, sorry, hang on. I missed you a bit there. What first time I saw what? Do you remember the first time you saw this episode and was oh, right. okay. space um, scary at all? No, I think because I was a teenager when I saw it, so mm. it was it was not scary at all. So Because everybody's acting like it, it – I mean, the, the characters are reacting like it's the worst thing they've ever seen. And then he turns towards the camera, and it's not even close to – anything bad <laughs> oh you got a couple of scars there dude you're a little oversensitive aren't you <laughs> yeah well i mean we've just i mean they've just caught the the golden state killer right and it's entirely possible that he did everything he did because he had a really small wiener so mm. you know people do weird things yeah but i mean you know uh perry screams very convincingly when, when he's well, right probably the worst face, face she's ever seen to be mm. fair being you know so in, but, I mean, but the then doctor's going to be like, whatever. The brigadier dude, right, or whatever his rank was, um, you know, he gets one look at him and like, ah! and he's like a hardened soldier. So I was really expecting something horrible. And uh, it, just, it just wasn't. Yeah, I think that was a little bit overdone. Even if it just like yeah. caught him off guard enough so that Jack could like shove him out the door and he could get buried in mud. Um, yeah. Yeah, the screen was definitely a bit much. Um, in terms of prosthetics, I don't think it's like, it's not terrible. Um, there's been worse, but there's certainly been better. I mean, I can still remember uh, the end of Dragonfire when um, um, what's his fa- oh god, what's his name in Dragonfire? Oh, um, your your man. I, I know you're yeah. talking about, but yeah, but, um, yeah. So basically, this dude can only live in sub-zero temperatures, right? Mm-hmm. So he's trying to. He's been exiled because um, he's a war criminal or something from his home planet, and he's been trying to like. They'll get back, um, but he finds out that it's been too long and like his planet's been like consumed in a supernova or whatever you, and so basically his all of his plans have gone to shit, and what he decides to do is he opens up um, this sort of heat shield, um, and obviously any sort of like heat will damage him. So obviously he's like directly in the path of the sun, and you get a close up of him melting basically. And it's just sort of like, oh shit, that is nasty. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's a it's a like a wax figure, so they do the whole sort of like just sort of melt like the 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 figure, but like speed it up. So it's like, but it's, yeah. it's, it's still pretty gross. 
I mean, well, think about the the end of Raiders. Essentially, oh, yeah. that that sort yeah. of melt thing. Yeah. It's equivalent to that. But I mean, um, it's it's. Um, I think as well with Doctor Who was wrestling with this whole thing of like, oh, it's too scary for kids. So I feel mm. like probably it was going to be grosser, yeah, and they ended up sort of reining it. it in. Yeah, it in. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's I mean, fair enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially this is like one of the most violent points in Doctor Who history. I mean, like we said, he had uh, Resurrection of the Daleks before it, and that opens with like a scene of temporal refugees getting mowed down by policemen. With machine guns, mm. um, so yeah, I mean the the violence in this one's pretty. Oh, uh, I mean, I, I remember uh, I think Graham Halpert said on the commentary that it, he and I was hearing Eric Sayward or JNT had decided they didn't want to like use laser weapons; they wanted like proper sort of submachine guns to like, make it like really sort of like keep it real. You know what I mean? Even though this is on like a, a far flung planet in the distant future. Um. And like the, the, I mean, we always like praise the part three cliffhanger, but the part one cliffhanger is just as sort of like brutal. You, you, although you sort of like know that somehow the Doctor and Perry are going to get out of it, the fact that it closes on it's it doesn't like close on Chalak saying fire. It actually closes on the soldiers opening fire. So you do you are left with the sense of oh shit, you're doing this, are they? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I maybe it's just you get jaded after a while, but there, there mm. just never really felt like there was any real danger to the doctor or Perry that you always know that there's going to be some some way out. Um, and I know that that's, you know, you can't do that. There's, they have to be able to put the main characters into peril, even though, you know, that they're they're not going to get killed. But uh it's just sometimes it it relies so much. I'm kind of glad that that multiple episode cliffhanger thing went away with the new incarnations, because sometimes they really had to contort themselves to come up with a a cliffhanger for the end of each episode. Yeah, see part two. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> oh, we should show in the we should show in the episode where the, the cliffhanger is. Look at the floor. Crash zoom on some lino. <laughs> <laughs> Or Dragonfire Part 1, a literal cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> For no good reason. <laughs> you know what we haven't done, lads? Chuck him off a literal cliff. <gasps> what? Oh, it's so, yeah, it's... Uh, but overall, I enjoyed the episode. It was not in any way... I You know, I was glad I watched it. Uh, I had a good time. Uh, I watched the whole thing in one afternoon. It wasn't like I was like, oh, God, I need a break. Um, <laughs> uh, just, you know... Perfectly passable, fun Doctor Who episode. Well, I must, I must say, I'm slightly relieved that it's not taken the grill in the because when me and Mike were like, "Oh, he'll love Tomb of the Cybermen," and then, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I, I did sort of think this was probably how you you would feel about it, um, mm. just from where we've recorded with you a bunch before, and we, you know, we've known you for a long time now, sort of obviously over the internet, mm. um, that you sort of get a feel of how, you know, uh, how your friend's going to react to a piece of media that you present to them. Um, <laughs> apart from all those, it, it's not like, whereas Tomb, I feel like it was that sort of awkward thing where you're like, look at this YouTube video, and you expect your significant other to howl at it, and uh, <laughs> they just could you like, what the fuck is this? Um, 
whereas that, that was what my feeling after we we made you watch tomb um whereas i thought that this was i thought this is probably how you're going to feel about caves i mean um because you're not going to have the emotional connection that people who've been watching here for a long time well i mean who've been consistently got who are sort of you know capital where fans are, are going to feel about caves but mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, you know and i think that the 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 things which are wrong with it are things that i think everyone would say yes is wrong with it but this and this and this and this is why i love it and yeah. i've and i think that that is that is something that just comes with um being a ridiculous fangirl slash boy of, of this show <laughs> yeah i certainly do not disagree with it being on a top 10 list i just i just find it odd that given the episodes i'm familiar with it is excuse me at the top of the list um, yeah, perhaps we should uh, sit and do. Uh, perhaps we should do Mask of Mandragora with you next and see if it holds up to. Uh, I would to love to revisit it. the Tom Baker stuff because mm. you know I was. Let's see, it would have been like seventy nine to eighty one or eighty two when it, fin- when it hit the U.S. airwaves. Mm-hmm. So I was, let's see, in seventy nine I was five, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Um, I'm a little bit older than that now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> We are recording um, on someone's birthday, we should point yes. out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I remember Well, I, I would you know, I would like to go back and watch that just to see if the uh the Asian stereotypes are as egregious as they probably were. Or if they were actually Oh so should we do what talents of Wen Chiang and things mm. like that? Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right, that was oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, it has an age well. Yeah. It has an age well. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <clears throat> pretty bad. Pretty <laughs> bad. Um, but yeah, I'll be uh, down for that. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be alright. That'd be well. I mean, it, it just would be interesting to go and to actually something you've actually seen before and see the see if it's Holds up, if yeah. it's held up in, in in any way, shape, or form. Um, I mean, well, I rewatched a uh, robot. Not too terribly long ago like within the last five years and mm. wow it's bad <laughs> oh i think that the, i think i like robot i mean because i like the, all, i like all the characters in it like all the guest stars mm. i mean obviously there are some shitty effects dolly That's sarah the, the tank <laughs> i you know i'll give you all of those you know but i think that the store i mean it's one of those ones that it's got fond memories for me as well that um when i was sitting and watching it uh, and my dad came in and sort of sat and started watching it with me and the doctor busts out that line that harry here is only qualified to work on sailors and my dad just <laughs> cracked up like <laughs> mm. but uh pyramids of mars holds up fabulously Oh, Pyramids of Mars is, oh, yeah. is the best thing since sliced bread. Clearly, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we've we've done it, but ages ago we talked about pyramid like episodes you should see. Yeah. we did donkeys a donkeys years ago. We, we talked about pyramids four shows ago. Oh, shut up! Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it was. It was oh, our good fourth grief. episode overall. <laughs> oh, lordy, lordy. Then this was back before we even like went on to simply syndicate it proper. This was like yeah. when we were solely simply everything thing. <laughs> Good grief. Mm-hmm. I lived in a different house then, bloody yeah. hell. Anyway, so <laughs> is there is there anything else that we wanna talk about with Caves of Androzani or shall we uh shall we wrap it up there? I've I've hit all my points. Um I, I hope I didn't 
crap on it too much. Uh, like I said, it's, no, I, think, it, I, think, I enjoyed I think it. I'm, I recover from my wounds. I think. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, no, I think. I think what everything you like I say. I think everything that you said about the episode is entirely valid. I mean, it, but it's the the the, the fan the fan girl glasses are so thick with mm. with caves. I find it difficult to take them off. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, everything you say is entirely justified. As uh, just like when we we were talking about um, tomb. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what does Case of Androzani for me is the doctor sort of like just happens to randomly drop in in this place and fucks everything up. Um, <laughs> not without even trying. His sheer presence and curiosity is what sets things off. And in the end, he's just basically trying to get back to the TARDIS and all that. And even though, you know, the war's over. Shara's Jack's dead, you know, the the troops are dead. You don't really get the sense of anything really major's changed. It's still a very much fucked up society on Androzani Major. Um yep. I I really kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know it I know it sounds weird, but you know, there's how many times has the doctor just like waltzed away from a situation and everybody's like, Yay, everything's great now. <laughs> Like, no, yeah. that's not how it would work, really, would it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that it's fair to say that episodes like this is what has given birth to Doctor Who as it is now. Mm. Um, you know, when you see the Doctor, the you know, 11th Doctor, the 12th Doctor, eat a big bowls of shit every time that in <laughs> thing, they try and do nice things. You know, they have like their nice time and then Moffat's like, no, you're going to pay for it. Things like this is where the that idea comes from. Hmm. Yep. So, let us know your thoughts. You can email us at greatestshow at simplysyndicated.com. You can tweet us at greatestshowpod, or you can visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast. We invite you to visit simplysyndicated.com and check out our many sister shows on the network, and as always, we welcome your support. The best way you can help us out is by signing up to Simply Everything. A monthly fee of just £6 gives you access to ad-free versions of current shows, a library of podcasts from the network's archives, and shows that are exclusive to the service. We also have a merchandise store that offers apparel and accessories to both Europe and America. We also have a Patreon, and you can donate to the network through PayPal, of which links to both are on the bottom of the website. So that being said, thank you very much, and happy birthday once again, Rick. Thank you very much. And thank you very much, Emma. Cheers, Mike. And until next time, I'm not going to let you stop me now. (laughs) (laughs) Close that damn elevator.